You're now listening to the Tax Smart REI Podcast. Your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here, we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hey, thanks for tuning into this episode of the TaxSmart REI Podcast. Today, Senior Advisor Justin Shore and I are joined with Carl Baker, owner of Infinity Commercial Capital, a commercial financing advisory firm that provides specialized funding options to real estate investors and business owners. In today's episode, we break down the differences between traditional and commercial financing, why commercial financing can sometimes be the better strategy for real estate investors, why interest rates aren't always the most important factors to consider when obtaining financing, and a lot more. Having a good rental management software is essential for landlords who want to stay on top of their finances, save time, and reduce stress during tax time. Without one, you're reliant on outdated and error-prone processes like spreadsheets, paper receipts, and manual reconciliation. Who wants to do that? This can lead to compliance issues, overpaid taxes, expensive vacancy periods, or worse. Master your income and expense tracking with Landlord Studio today. Import transactions to quickly reconcile expenses, automate rent collection and income tracking, digitize receipts on the go, and instantly generate financial reports, including including Schedule E to make tax filing a breeze. Landlord Studio is much more than just a rental accounting solution, though. Take advantage of their range of property management tools from finding and screening tenants to managing leases and even tracking and managing property maintenance tasks. You can learn more about Landlord Studio and start your 14-day free trial at landlordstudio.com CPA. Use the coupon code REALESTATECPA at checkout for 25% off your plan. Again, that's landlordstudio.com CPA and use coupon code REALESTATECPA to get 25% off your plan and a 14-day free trial today. Carl, thanks for joining us today. Would you be able to give our listeners a brief overview of your background, how you got involved with commercial lending for real estate? Sure. Yeah. Hi. Thanks for uh, the invitation. I'm happy to be here. So I'm a licensed CPA and I spent many years in public accounting, working with clients, et cetera, 25 years, in fact. And about five years ago, I went out on my own to become a consultant. When I did that, I began learning the the value of having multiple streams of income. And I really wanted to add value to clients, just help people with financial things. And so over the course of a year, I was continually looking for additional ways I can add to my own revenue streams, additional ways I can help people, et cetera. And I stumbled upon commercial lending. And I sort of intuitively knew as soon as I stumbled upon the idea that that was something I wanted to to, to do. And I've been working on in uh, commercial lending for coming up on three years now. That's awesome. That's awesome. Do you just work with real estate investors or do you do other types of commercial lending? All sorts of commercial lending. So whether it would be real estate lending, short-term, long-term, whether it would be business owners, startup existing, including working capital. I do some work in uh, supply chain finance, et cetera. Um, those are the two main areas, working capital and real estate. I do a little bit of equipment lending as well. So even on the real estate side, uh, would you say as far as like working capital goes, um, you, you know, you go more than just kind of like the traditional lending for rental properties, but you do, you know, products that fit for uh, like a fix and flip type of endeavors? Oh, sure. Yeah. I just came out of a meeting with somebody where we're talking about fix and flip lending. Those, those tend to be 
you know, one year or so bridge loans. I also talk in the working capital space, there are major advantages to using business lines of credit to help with working capital for business owners and real estate investors. So those sort of business lines of credit are very advantageous to real estate investors to provide working capital to fund down payments, to fund contractor payments, supply payments, et cetera. So there are some pretty effective strategies there that I talk to a lot of people about. Awesome. We have a lot of uh, landlords on the show. We also have a lot of um, you know fix and flippers as well. But traditionally, landlords, you know they they buy rental properties. You know, they typically obtain traditional financing, quote unquote, right? And I know you have an interesting take on an instant strategy on how to finance these properties is a little bit different. But before we kind of dive into that, would you kind of be able to give us a brief overview for the listeners who may not know or just need a refresher on what is traditional financing? And then we kind of go into uh, go into the other other aspects of it. Yeah. So I guess when I talk about financing at that sort of high level, the way I introduce the subject is anytime you're borrowing, you're borrowing under either your personal name or you're borrowing under a corporate infrastructure, such as an LLC or a corporation, et cetera. So you're either borrowing under a name or a corporate entity. And many people take one approach or the other. And when we talk about traditional financing, that could mean using access to capital from banks under a personal name. It could also mean access to capital from banks under an LLC. But I think that's what you're referring to probably is is bank financing. And and we learned from early age, right? That when you're purchasing, or excuse me, when you need a loan, and we learn this as 16 year olds when we buy our first car, when you need a loan, you go to a bank. And uh and I guess that's what I would what many people think of as as traditional uh traditional funding. And that's a very legitimate and appropriate path in many cases, but not always. And I know that you have an alternative take on that. So I mean, I guess before we get to that, what would be the downsides? What would be the pros and cons of traditional financing? And then like, as you get into the other strategy, kind of people kind of be able to see a picture of how this all works. Yeah. So again, I parse out, we're talking about bank financing, I think, but also I'm going to parse that out a little more because many real estate investors, they start their financing path, their financing journey by obtaining personal conventional loans, the Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, or just, you know, a conventional loan. And the pros to that, and there are a lot of pros, the pros to that are you're absolutely going to get the lowest rates available. When you're obtaining a personal loan that's really designed for your primary residence, the rates will absolutely be the best on the market. I heard somebody just today say they obtained a 30-year fixed 2.9% uh, set of terms for a investment property. Absolutely the best rates available. That 30-year fixed is a common financing instrument that's available in the commercial space. So that's important to a lot of people. The down payment in the world of real estate, we all know that cash flow is important and having the lowest amount of cash in your debt financing is important. And so that will be the lowest rate. And then I'm just going to say, it's what people know. People in many cases, when they're just getting started, that's what they know. Again, when you need a loan, you go to a bank, the banks will encourage many real estate investors to access that. And it's, like I said, the low down payment, you might be able to get a loan for three and a half percent. 
down payment and therefore you're financing the majority of your of your purchase which is important to a lot of people it's important just inherently but to a lot of people the downsides are you asked about the pros and cons the downsides of that approach is it might take a little longer 45 to 60 days on a personal loan basis the banks will eventually cap the number of loans that you can have on your your profile couple other things that I would say are more qualitative, and that is when you're doing that, you're commingling business and personal financings. And, you know, I can't imagine, for example, in a manufacturing space, people aren't going to borrow personally, usually in order to fund a manufacturing operation. So why would we do that in a real estate operation? This is an investment. It's a business. If you think of it as a business, then, you know, arguably there are some risks there by borrowing personally. And another piece that I think is very important is, and people manage this, but when you are borrowing with the personal conventional mortgage loans, all of those mortgages end up on your personal credit profile and could potentially negatively impact your ability to just go about your own personal life in purchasing a primary residence, purchasing a car. Uh, you're taking a chance that your credit score will go down because of the mortgages on your credit profile. And then I'm not an attorney, but when you're borrowing under the personal side, you're also taking the the risk of your assets being in play from a business perspective. They're just commingled with all of your other assets and you're taking on liability risks as well. So, and would you say that uh, you mentioned it impacting your personal credit, for example, would it be fair to say that with those types of loans, generally the lender is less concerned with things like a, a debt service coverage ratio from the actual property and more so looking at your individual income sources as well. So that that could potentially hamper your ability to borrow a little bit. Yeah, they're going to they're going to do probably a two-pronged approach in the debt to income ratio. They're going to do an asset-based debt to income ratio and evaluate whether the cash flows are sufficient enough to pay for the loan, but then they're also going to do a global debt to income ratio calculation in which they're incorporating all earnings and all income streams for the person's financial picture. It might include a spouse's earnings, it might include your earnings from someplace else. It might include investments that are potentially not cash flow into the tune, and that will all be incorporated into it. So that there will definitely be a global debt to income ratio. There's exceptions to everything, but that's you know, that's the the norm in those cases. Okay, gotcha. Um, well, you kind of touched on another area that I wanted to segue to here in a second, but just to kind of recap, uh, so it sounds like you know for the most part the big pro with that that traditional financing is is getting the the lowest rates possible and the low down payment right of not needing a you know twenty percent down payment. Um, cons though, uh, slower to get lending impacts personal credit, and and you'll likely run into some lending caps as as you're trying to grow your portfolio. Um, so I think that's a good summary on some of the pros and cons. But uh, what uh, we started to touch on there, too, was mentioning the fact that your assets are are all just uh, in your personal name and you're kind of getting exposed to some of that. And that kind of leads to one of the questions I wanted to ask you as well, is that most of our clients prefer to hold their rental properties in LLCs. And like you said, we're not attorneys as well. So you definitely want to um, concern with attorneys on like the asset protection concepts mm -hmm. that are out there. 
But that being said, one thing that I do hear pretty regularly from our clients is that they've said that they would like to acquire their property in LLC, but the lender that they're working with will not lend to their LLC. And the natural follow-up usually uh, from the client is something along the lines of, what can I tell my lender to basically change their mind or talk them out of it? Or is there something that I should do differently here? And, and I was curious about like your take on that. Yeah, I think you mentioned that to me before. And my response is if a lender is saying we won't lend to an LLC, I would probably have to say go to another lender. Maybe that particular lender just doesn't focus on commercial loans. But even at banks, traditional financial institutions that we know on the the street of your downtown community, to my knowledge, they will lend on an LLC or a corporate structure of some sort. So if a lender is saying that, then it's sort of baffling, although I have heard that. I'm not disputing that that's out there. But I would say if they are saying that, you would probably just need to find another lender even in the traditional space. And then I would then start to parse out the the lending community between financial institutions and, you know, call them banks, but that's the the financial institution, the the banking community, the uh, credit union community, et cetera. That versus non-bank lenders that are doing an enormous amount of lending in the in the market in the across the country. And all of them on a commercial basis are lending to corporate structures. Excellent. Yeah, I appreciate that that feedback. Um, and it definitely, I would say that speaks to uh, what I think a lot of investors would agree that real estate is a relationship business big time. And that lends a little bit more credence to that. And that, uh, you know, those relationships extend to your lenders. And that's that's why it's a good idea to cultivate those relationships as well. So that you've got some options. I was just having a meeting this morning with somebody that's a, a real estate investor, and we were talking on that very subject, the concept of relationships. Many lenders will have what I call their public criteria for their lending box. Every lender, whether it's a bank, credit union, non-bank, private institutional lender, et cetera, they all have a credit box. And they they will tell you generally how they lend, what their criteria is, et cetera. There's a difference between what they'll lend to you on a first loan and what they'll lend to you on their 10th loan or what they'll lend to you if you're coming to them with high amounts of volume. And many of those criteria are the lenders keep in their back pocket for their relationships. You know, if you're coming to a lender with 10 loans a quarter, they're going to, they're going to approach that, that relationship differently than somebody that comes to them once a year. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. So kind of just switching gears just a little bit, you know, I know we talked a little bit about traditional financing and I understand that you have a kind of a different take on a different strategy that you believe investors should approach. What What is that? And uh, could you be able to break that down for us? Yeah, I think what, what you're referring to is, I'm going to just broadly say there are lenders out there that have criteria that not everybody knows about until they start studying the world of commercial financing. There are ways to access commercial capital that's protecting your personal credit profile, that's not going on your personal credit, and you're still checking some of the boxes that you think you're going to get by obtaining traditional financing. The biggest thing that usually causes jaws to drop is the the 30-year fixed rate commercial financing options that are out there. 
for residential real estate, if you're buying a, a single family home or a multifamily apartment complex or a storage facility or an office complex, the concept of having longer term competitive financings with longer term fixed rates at the 30 year fixed rate space, those loans are out there. And if all a real estate investor has ever done is go to a financial institution, their local bank, they may not know of those options. And by no means am I saying that banks are not an appropriate option. Of course they are. And there are times when the local bank is absolutely the appropriate funding path. It's really just raising, I'm really just raising awareness that there are options in the commercial space that can help real estate investors achieve what they think they can only achieve by obtaining the traditional financing, the 30-year fixed rate. That 30-year fixed rate is an incredibly powerful financing tool. I would completely agree. I would say, especially, uh, I think right now in the, the current state of the market, a lot of people are concerned with rising interest rates and being able to lock something in for that, that fully amortizing 30 years is pretty impressive. I think that that's um, uh, something that a lot of investors would want to tap into. Yeah. And in the, you know, many people, they, what's the very first question? Take a guess. What's the very first question when we start talking about loans that, that a lender is going to get? What's the very first question? What's the rate? Rate exactly. Yeah, what are, what's the rate? And and so many times there are other things that are more important. It might be the speed of closing. It might be the existence of a hassle of hassle factor and how to reduce that. And by by all means, it's important to understand that there's a hassle factor in any loan that you get. There's an exchange of paperwork. There's things that a lender needs. But sometimes the hassle factor might be lower with one lender versus another. Like I said, the speed, the down payment, the interest rate, all those things, the closing costs, all those things come into play. And just understanding what it is you're trying to accomplish and what boxes you're trying to check that will most effectively contribute to your scenario to advance your cause. Those are things that are important. I think it's interesting you mentioned uh, speed because I think that that's probably one area that maybe two, three years ago, a lot of investors would have had very high up on their list. But the way that the market uh, was over, over the last couple of years, I think that's that's probably moved way up on a lot of people's, a lot of investors' priority list for sure. <laughs> For sure. Right now, in today's market environment, there uh, so many people are concerned about interest rates and the, the rates increasing. And you know, I think people in the financing space and people in the real estate space, nobody really cares what the rate is as long as the debt service fits in with the deal. And that's what's really most important is is the financing contributing to your scenario to help you advance your cause and to use leverage appropriately. Yep. It does it cash flow because we all know cash is king, right? Right. hundred percent. While we're on that topic, good quick question. I think it's related. Are you seeing loan applications decrease as interest rates go up at this point and like the market? Because like there's some, you know, it's just weird dynamics going on right now. Interest rates are rising. Some people are reporting that they are taking a step back. Uh, at least that's what I'm hearing. Are you seeing that on the loan application side? Are you seeing that decelerate right now? Uh, well, so I'm speaking in general for the lending community in general. 
I think on a personal side, nobody's doing personal mortgage refinancings because there's no reason. If you're just sitting in your home or maybe even with your own property and you're just looking to better your debt service, that's just not happening right now. But if you're looking to take equity out of your real estate property, then those loans are still just through the roof in terms of loan applications. I mean, we're we're buried. And I would say any commercial lender that is working with real estate investors, they're all going to be pretty busy, I think. Because again, nobody cares what the rate is. If let's say I have a million dollar property and I have a $200,000 loan, well, there's $800,000 of equity that is available for my purposes to help me advance my cause and build my portfolio. If a year ago, that interest rate might've been 4%, 3.5% on a commercial basis, which was very doable. Now it might be five, six, seven percent. But if you can cash flow that and pull out four, five, six hundred thousand dollars in cash and use that to buy more property, they're going to do that. And and those are the things that are continuing to happen. Interesting, yeah, on the on the, the the cash out refinance kind of position because we I think a lot of us, so a lot of investors will look at uh the standpoint of you know not wanting to sit on too much cash due to obviously like inflationary factors. But probably to a little bit lesser degree, but a similar degree is that you almost uh, in some situations you want to be sitting on too much equity because it could be out there earning you more returns. Oh, totally. Anybody that uh, understands how to how to grow a real estate portfolio, it's using leverage to the maximum extent such that you can make your money work for you. You know, so many people. If I have a hundred thousand dollars in cash, I could buy one property for $100,000 and make use of that cash flow, sell it in five years for 200000 or whatever. Or I could buy five properties, put $20,000 down on five properties, and then have $500,000 worth of property, have debt that is allowing you to get to that point of those those that number of properties, and then have five times the cash flow, maybe a little less on each one because of the debt, but you're eventually going to capitalize on that with appreciating values. So there is such a thing as good debt and bad debt and using that debt to exponentially grow a real estate portfolio is a effective way to, to do that and build wealth. And I think that's a good point. You mentioned that you know, good debt utilizing uh, debt to to generate some kind of return on investment versus uh, <laughs> on on toys, right? Being on the the bad debt side of things. Everybody knows Robert Kiyosaki, and I was just listening to his podcast this week, and it's not like any of us have not heard it. But in this week's podcast, he actually used that very phrase: "good debt, bad debt," and talking about wealth development. So, you know, it's not just me. Obviously, Robert has uh, has much more to say about that with the credibility that he has. So, absolutely.
We do want to let you know that we did officially release the short-term rental tax course, which teaches you everything you need to know about the short-term rental loophole to save five to six figures in taxes. In the course, I cover an overview of the short-term rental loophole and its powerful tax benefits, how to materially participate in your short-term rentals to reduce taxes on your W-2 and other active income, how to maximize your tax savings using cost segregation studies and bonus depreciation, as well as how to avoid critical mistakes that can cost you thousands of dollars in tax savings. By the end of the course, you will know exactly what you need to do to use the short-term rental loophole to save five to six figures in taxes. With the amount of value that is included in this course and the potential tax savings, I could have easily charged upwards of $997 or perhaps even $1,500 for this course. But you know what? Because I want to help as many people use the short-term rental loophole as possible, I'm giving it away for only $247, which is really next to nothing if you think about the potential tax savings that you can get from using a short-term rental loophole. And with bonus depreciation phase out over the next few years, the sooner you can take advantage of the short-term rental loophole, the more tax you'll be able to save. So if you're ready to save five to six figures in taxes by using the short-term rental loophole, you can enroll in the course today by going to courses.taxsmartinvestors.com and enrolling. It's just that simple. Again, that's courses.taxsmartinvestors.com. You know, the what the standard kind of typical investor loan is, uh, I would say, used to seeing um, is that that 20 year amortization, which you'd mentioned earlier, uh, the huge power of being able to tap into a 30 year am amortization rate, obviously improving your cash flow. But I would say the other factor that a lot of investors are probably used to seeing is having a, a five year, maybe a seven year balloon payment. And then, so maybe if you could explain briefly for some of our listeners that, that aren't familiar with that, there's a lot of listeners that are looking at maybe buying the first rental property or second rental property right now what exactly that means to have a, a five-year balloon payment. And then again, like how the products that you have access to are different than that. Yeah, sure. Let's talk about the amortization again. If a person's goal is to pay down their debt service and have no debt, which anybody in real estate will say should not be your goal, but if it is your goal for whatever reason, then uh, obtaining a mortgage that has 20-year amortization versus a 30-year amortization is you're going to absolutely pay your debt down faster. Um, but all other things being equal, I tell people all the time, all other things being equal, having exactly the same amount of loan, having the exact same interest rate, but the only difference between loan A and loan B is 20-year amortization versus 30-year amortization, your monthly debt service is going to be about 25% lower on a 30-year amortization versus 20-year. So you're putting in your pocket or giving you access to cash at the tune of 25% more that you can either use for living or for further investment. And that's very powerful. So to go back to the five, one arm, seven year arm, et cetera, those loans tend to have a, uh, let's just talk about a five year, for example, the loan will start out on day one with a set of interest rates that becomes fixed for five years and different loan structures are out there. But at the end of that five years, there's either a balloon payment for the difference between what the loan started out on and what it is at the end of that five years. The monthly payment will not be based on a five-year amortization. Um, it will be based as if 
the loan is being paid off over, say, 20 years. So they calculate what your principal and interest payment is as if the loan's being paid off over 20 years. But in reality, contractually, according to the note, it will be due in five years instead of 20 years. And so at the end of that five years, there will either be a balloon payment for the balance or there will be just um, a conversion from a fixed rate to a variable rate tied to some sort of an index like prime rate or LIBOR, which is going away, et cetera. So that is what I would call traditional commercial financing. And those sort of rates tend to be pretty advantageous because the financial institution is obtaining their money and bankers can talk about this better than I can, but those have pretty competitive rates because they're securing their cost of money in order to issue the loan on a shorter term basis. The risk is lower, so the rate will be competitive. Compare that to, and, and I would just say there are scenarios where all other things being equal, uh, an investor can obtain that exact same loan with a 30-year set of terms or sometimes it might be a little bit higher. The rate might be a tick higher, half a point, whatever. But the on a cash flow basis, the actual 30-year fixed rate basis will be lower, even if the interest rate is higher, because of the extension of the, the amortization. And I think anybody that's focusing on cash flow wealth building, they're not going to care about the interest rate as much as the the monthly debt service payment. And so there's huge advantages there. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah, excellent. So so to kind of recap, um maybe we kind of look at pros and cons again there is that in that that 20 year amortization with a five year balloon situation, maybe the pro would be you might be able to get a little bit better interest rate. Um, but the main con is going to be that you get a little bit more interest rate risk in that once that five-year marker comes by, you're looking at having to refinance at that point in time. And you know, since unfortunately none of us have that crystal ball, we don't know exactly where rates will be in five years. So, well, yeah, that that was a good prompting. I forgot to talk about that, the concept of interest rate risk. So many people say, well, who cares? I might as well take the five-year loan anyway, because nobody actually keeps a loan or a property for 30 years. Nobody actually keeps that property and the mortgage for 30 years. There's typically a refinancing as, as the market turns. So who cares? But at least with a longer term note, it takes away the risk so you don't have to if you don't want to, as opposed to if you have a five-year note, whatever the interest rate is at that point, then you have to refinance and you're forced to refinance at whatever the rates are at that time. Over the last 15 years, people have sort of, I think, have probably forgotten about that interest rate risk because rates have been so low. But now people are more aware of that as an interest rate factor as a real risk. So I would tell people, go ahead and get the 30-year fixed rate, and that takes away that interest rate risk. You're hedging that risk, and then refinance it when the rates are more favorable and it makes sense to refinance it, but you don't have to because of a of a note coming due. Makes sense. You're, kind of, you're holding more of the cards when you have that 30-year fixed rate. Oh. Right, right. All right. So we talked a lot about lending. 
you know, a lot of our listeners, a lot of our, our clients are always asking, you know, for lenders, right? And, you know, because we work with clients on a national level, we really never know where to tell them. So you know, out of curiosity, you know, what geographic areas do you work in and, and where can you help get investors loans? Yeah, thanks for asking. Generally, the rule of thumb is anywhere in the country because, and, and this is biased, I'll just confess it's biased because it's, I'm talking about my own, my own business. But really, if any of your real estate investors out there and they have a relationship with a commercial loan broker, they'll find the same scenario with them. We're representing a commercial loan broker is representing the borrower and we're, uh, on the, the shortest possible basis. I say that I help people find money. I help people uh, find the right funding path. So lender A may lend in 25 states, lender B may lend in all 50 states, and lender C may lend in 30 states, and there might be some overlap with lender A. But if one lender is not able to lend in one particular state, there is going to be another lender that will lend in that state, which allows a loan broker whoever that might be, to be able to lend pretty much in anywhere across the country and even internationally in, in some cases. Excellent. Yeah, that, that's fantastic because uh, like we were talking about relationships with lenders before, um, I've got some relationships with my local lenders, but I always ask them that question. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm here in Missouri, but uh, I've asked them, hey, if I want to buy a property in Arkansas, can you lend on that property in Arkansas? And I've had several of them tell me no, our bank does not go there. Right. So that's that's um that's always like a good a good good question to ask for lenders. That's the advantage of uh again there are absolutely advantages to the local lenders but as a real estate investor is starting to cross state lines or even cross regions you know they may be in Missouri or New York and they're they're investing in the state of Washington having those lenders in that area will be difficult without actually going there or having the national lenders. Awesome. Awesome. That addresses that. Yeah. Well, Carl, I, I think that uh, that kind of answers the last bit of uh, questions that we had for you today. But if our listeners want to uh, get into contact with you to, to, to work on some of these products, uh, what's what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, sure. Our website, the company that I that I own is Infinity Commercial Capital. Our website is www.infinitycom, C-O-M-M, short for commercial, infinitycomcapital.com. My contact information is on there. The people that work with us uh, that work at the firm are on that website and uh, phone numbers are there, et cetera. That's, that's the best way. I also will tell you, I didn't even tell you this in advance, but at some point we'll pick this back up, I hope. I actually have a podcast called CFO Square to play on my, my accounting background, the chief financial officer background. So it's chats about financial and financing optimization. Um, and uh, so you can find some some shows there and I would uh, love to have you all on that show as well and we'll, we can continue the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. We'd love, we'd love to come on and, uh, and and have a conversation on the podcast for sure. So, you know, for everybody who is listening right now, we're going to drop all of that in the show notes. If you want to check out Carl's site, you want to check out the podcast, that'll be in the show notes link below. Carl, any parting words before we wrap up for today? No, I would just say um, in all cases, what I tell real estate investors, whether you work with us or with somebody that you're having a relationship with, I think debt 
And finding that right funding path is important. And it is important to understand that financing is more than just interest rate. There's so many other things. And understanding that comprehensive view of using leverage appropriately and finding the right lender that can check the boxes that will help you advance your cause is what's most important. Thank you for allowing me to be on the show. Oh, thanks for joining us today. It was, it was an honor to have you on. Thank you. Hey, before we go, I wanted to remind you about the short-term rental course, which breaks down everything you need to know about the short-term rental loophole to save five to six figures in taxes. After helping dozens of private clients and hundreds of bootcamp students, we wanted to help as many investors as possible use this strategy. And with bonus depreciation starting to phase out, the sooner you can take advantage of this short-term rental loophole, the bigger your potential tax savings. So if you don't want to miss out on this amazing opportunity, you can enroll in by going to www.courses.taxsmartinvestors.com. Again, that's courses.taxsmartinvestors.com. Dot com. That's all for today, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Tax Smart REI. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients, and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes and with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.